We believe pharmacists are the hub of healthcare and our favorite providers. We know it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day and forget that we went into pharmacy to make a difference. And we really do make a difference, even with the smallest decisions. That's why I want to tell you about Ultimed's Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, a pen needle product that makes real, tangible change possible for our patients in the communities we serve. UltiGuard Safe Pack Pen Needles are an FDA-cleared product that provides 100 premium pen needles in a sharps container, all in one convenient package system. When you dispense the UltiGuard Safe Pack, you protect families and your community from sharps injuries, and you remove medical waste from the environment. To learn more, visit altiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. That's altiguardsafepack.com forward slash podcast. When you dispense the Altiguard Safe Pack, you choose positive change. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. If anyone in the pharmacy industry is living under a rock, you might not realize there is a major transformation in our industry on multiple fronts, including provider status, uh, including how um, patients are engaging technology in their pharmacists, and PBM reform. And that's why you're listening to this episode of the PBM Reform Podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, because we really want to drive attention and education to our marketplace, our professionals, our pharmacists, our administrators, that um, the status quo is uh, coming to an end. And it's, it's been a long time coming. And there was an article that was published on Business Newswire on May 11th. 2021 that was titled Capital RX and Three Access Advisors Study Finds Potential for Billions in Prescription Drug Savings with Transparent Pricing Practices. My name is Todd Yuri. I'm the founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I am the pharmacist's number one fan, and I am so excited today to welcome Antonio Chacha with Three Access Advisors and, um, and AJ Lucanano, uh, who is the CEO of Capital RX to the Pharmacy Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here again. Neither of you are um, strangers to the PPN. I thank you so much for coming back. And uh, AJ, when you were on last, we were talking with a benefits administrator and union member um, of the PSEA, um, which serves Pennsylvania state uh, uh, teachers. And you just really unraveled and demystified a lot of the pharmacy benefit uh, right there and then for for our guest, who was Mary Ellen Jones. It was an amazing conversation. I very much appreciate you. But you do not stand still. The grass under your feet is no longer there because you're always in such much so much of a buzz. So first of all, I want to just have the listeners understand 
um, you know, who you are and your organization, Capital RX, and then I have lots of questions. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm AJ. I'm the CEO of Capital RX. I often say what makes me a little bit different from other leaders within pharmacy benefits is I spent half my career in pharmaceutical manufacturing on the plant side, doing pretty dry work, uh, converting old MRP, MRP2, ERP modules. Did that for eight years, traveled the globe, and I didn't recognize it at the time, but I was learning a tremendous amount about drug pricing and pharmaceutical logistics or supply chain. And the other half of my career was on the payer side. So it kind of gave me the alpha and the omega, this kind of end-to-end perspective. And when we founded Capital RX, you know, back to your point of you, you never stop moving, you never stop even challenging your own uh, thought process or what you believe is good. How do you make it better? And so nothing was sacred. This is something that we say all the time in product meetings and in development sessions, which is we have the ability to use a blank sheet of paper. So let's reimagine the system that everyone deserves. And, and I say that from a, pas- a patient level, a plan, a pharmacist, there's no reason why people in the supply chain chain need to be adversaries. You know, and I point this out all the time. We all want the same things. We want better care, lower cost, better engagement. And the people that I mentioned all want to achieve this. And so I think part of what we've spent so much time on is trying to unlock, demystify, and focus on what's important in pharmacy benefits. It's a great intro. It really sets the stage for Arkansas, Tennessee, Texas, Ohio, who uh, Antonio is very much well aware, very intimately involved with. Antonio, uh, give us a short overview of the status quo of, of, of where we are right now today and and why you're um, fighting as hard as you are to to change some things in in drug benefit. So um, the problem with uh, the pharmacy marketplace is that it's entirely predicated upon layers upon layers of fake prices. Um, You have artificially inflated sticker prices that are going up significantly over time, not just on the brand side, but on the generic side as well. And the degree with which we as consumers are exposed to derivatives of that price is completely predicated on benefits design. Whether our drugs are covered, whether or not they are partially covered, or whether or not they are covered entirely. And then on the other end of the spectrum is is a, a plan sponsor, an employer, state Medicaid program, state agency, that is uh, acting on our behalf to provide, again, either all partial um, or, or no coverage whatsoever. And so the entire farm or drug supply chain is built in a way to respond to the incentives that are laid out within that benefits design. And uh, health plans and pharmacy benefit managers ostensibly hired to control and make at least the purchase of those prescription drugs more efficient and hopefully simplified are actually in many instances doing the opposite. Uh, And because of the complexity of the supply chain, uh, it is very hard to determine whether or not the end consumer, whether it's the plan sponsor or the patient, are ultimately getting a fair deal on those medications. And so uh, one of the things that uh, that we've worked to do at Three Access Advisors and uh, and 46 Brooklyn Research is to highlight essentially where, where, where the fake is and where the real is. 
Um, one of the things that I think makes you know AJ and Capital RX unique is that um, opposed in opposed to others that are in uh, the PBM and PBA space, um, Capital essentially is predicating all of their pricing on a publicly available benchmark, whereas the rest of uh, uh, or most of the competitors to Capital are dealing with certain degrees of proprietary uh, information. And so what that means is that the prices are, are not readily available to the end purchaser or end user of the product. And so Capital provides, I think, a very unique insight into, um, you know, uh, into the actual prices of the drugs themselves, uh, which is why you know, the, the study that we were able to do with them, uh, I think was, was unique in that it's taking a look at the real prices and then seeing how those real prices can translate into savings. So AJ, let's unravel this for the listeners who may not have understood that there was a study done where uh, three access advisors found that implementing transparent pricing practices via the national average drug acquisition cost, known as the NADAC, in the potential to create billions of dollars in savings and restore uh, public trust in 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 this in how drugs are priced are, are priced. So, can you kind of like uh, set the stage for for this for this study? Yeah, I think what I always find interesting is when you try something new, the number of people that immediately say, "Well, that's not good enough," and I often say, "Well, where are we today?" You know, you would think that AWP average wholesale price was the most magnificent pricing metric ever bestowed upon the pharmacy supply chain. But it is, as we all know, a, a, a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Like, I don't even know where they're getting the prices from at this point. And that's for someone else to, to handle at a different point in time. But my frustration are the number of consultants and brokers, and they'll try and find fault immediately in something like NADA. And you know, NADC, National Average Drug Acquisition Costs. And I'll be like, how good is what you have today? Is anyone saying that NADAC is, is perfect? Nobody is. Absolutely not. But is it infinitely better than where we are? And I always like to point this out, and Antonio brought up a good point. It's not just the source price, it's the witchcraft that goes back into the winners and losers at the point of sale. And Let's take a deep breath for a second. How should the US healthcare system, specifically for pharmacy, behave for prescriptions? I call it the Tylenol rule. When I walk into a pharmacy and I reach for a bottle of Tylenol, it does not matter if I'm insured or uninsured. If I work for the biggest company or the smallest, we pay the same price at the register. But now walk 50 feet back to the pharmacy register and you're spinning a roulette wheel. That not only are you the victim of what we would say a very unstable price, AWP, combined with the sole discretion of your PBM or carrier to set a different price, any price at the point of sale in their sole discretion. And it's this concept of winners and losers at the register I'm just tired of. You know, every other place I go to and I buy something, it's like a bottle of Tylenol. When buyers and sellers freely communicate on price, price becomes more efficient, 
the market becomes more efficient, the experience becomes better. But the moment people hide things and control price and set price and have the arbitrary ability to establish price, bad things happen. And that's been 20 years of pharmacy benefits. And to your point, it must end. And so what drove us to create this study is awareness. Could we start having thoughtful conversations, not these hyper-reactive, this can't work, it can't be? And could we let the numbers and the metrics define this? And so when we reached out to do this study, what the first thing we wanted to say is, let's help educate. Let's help people understand, is anything perfect? No, but you're not going to achieve perfect in healthcare. We're going to take incremental steps that will make this better and better. And a great place to start was let's use publicly available data. Let's look at Medicaid. Let's look at our NADAC pricing. And let's look if we expanded that using something like AAC from Alabama, which does require every pharmacy that participates to report in on its pricing. And this is where we established that better pricing. And so this is what was driving us, which is I just had so many naysayers, but they couldn't back it up with anything other than just wanting to throw stones. Understood. And, and I understand where people want to make their, uh, their, their position, the TPAs, the consultants, the you know, the status quo, they don't want to lose what they already have, but they're not thinking of the end game and the fact that there still could be profit in healthcare without it being so, as you've alluded, so mysterious. And, and then when the truth comes out, people feel that they have been cheated. Uh, they think that their tax dollars going to Medicaid in the, in the numbers of, of billions of dollars in, in waste and, and what could become savings, that's red flags to the, to the American consumer, regardless of your position, regardless of your political affiliation, you know, regardless of the, of the role that you, you play, if you are in healthcare or not in healthcare, it doesn't matter. Antonio, share with our listeners some of the numbers that were pulled from this report which are astounding to me, including a savings of $10 billion over a 10-year period um, if, if we could implement um, you know, the, the findings. Yeah, sure. So just, just uh, as, as a way of framing, so you know, Todd, the last time we were on, we were on we were, uh, I, I was on your show, we were talking a lot about some of the spread pricing issues and, and some of the issues that we're uncovering in state Medicaid programs, specifically in Medicaid-managed care programs. And Medicaid managed care programs allow PBMs to arbitrarily pay whatever they want to pharmacies and then arbitrarily determine how much they want to bill back to the state Medicaid plans and thus the state Medicaid program and taxpayers. And what we uncovered in Ohio and in a number of other states was that PBMs were taking advantage of the opacity of price to essentially buy low, bill or buy low at the pharmacy level, i.e., pay them low, much to the chagrin of pharmacies. Uh, but then bill a much higher rate back to back to those taxpayers. Well, what enables that is ultimately a, a, a contracting system that affixes prices to fake ones, i.e. the average wholesale price um, that AJ was talking about, AWP. So what makes Capital Rx unique among many of its peers is that they have said, we're not going to use fake prices within, our, within their contracting system, but instead of fixed costs, and align them to the national average drug acquisition cost. And what, that, what NADAC is, is it is a surveyed price 
CMS contracts with Myers and Stouffer, which is a CPA firm, and they send surveys out to pharmacies across the country and ask them, what did you pay to acquire the drug at your pharmacy? They send that out to about 2,000 to 2,500 pharmacies every month, with which about 20% of the pharmacies respond and submit their invoice acquisition costs back to Myers and Stouffer. With that data, Myers and Stouffer then creates the NADAC. So NADAC is, while again, not perfect, is a true reflection of where the marketplace is rather than relying on overinflated sticker prices, which at many times, uh, the real price of the drug in relation to the sticker price, we see many drugs that are 99% cheaper than the actual sticker price of those medications. And so what AJ mentioned is, okay, you have these fake prices that are completely arbitrary and highly disconnected from the real prices. That is the standard within PBM contracting with plan sponsors. And then you have NADAC, which is a reflection of the actual costs that pharmacies pay to acquire medications. Many state Medicaid programs in their fee-for-service programs require, the, uh, re require all pricing to be predicated on NADAC. And there are an emerging number of plans that are looking at NADAC as a possible solution to cut the rug out for, or pull the rug out from under this system that's all predicated on inflating and grow, or growing inflated sticker prices. So we like the, what NADAC provides because it provides insight into the reality of the system. However, as much as we love NADAC, NADAC is not without its shortcomings. And the fact that it is a voluntary survey the fact that it only is essentially going after retail pharmacies, there are certain pharmacies that, that do not fill out the survey, which means that a certain number of medications like specialty medications are often missed by that NADAC survey. And by often, that is a relative term. If you were to actually look at the data of NADAC, we actually just looked at this this week. Of all the drugs that were dispensed within Medicaid across the country, all right, looking at the specific number of drugs that were paid for in Medicaid programs, NADAC has 622 million of the total 657 million prescriptions dispensed. That means 95% of all the drugs paid for by every Medicaid program across the country are accounted for in Medicaid. Now, for all intents and purposes, that is very, very good, okay? The problem is, is that Let's talk about that 5%. Let's not, let's not leave it off to the side. How do we make sure that NADAC is a better reflection of the entire marketplace? Well, the state of Alabama actually solved for that. And what they did is they require all pharmacies to participate in that NADAC or in, the, in their own state survey called actual acquisition cost. And so uh, other states are now looking at that. Utah is looking at mandating that pharmacies uh, uh, participate in those surveys. In Ohio, in their redesign, after they fired all their PBMs and found out that they were getting screwed, in their redesign, they are moving to a, uh, a reporting system that requires pharmacies to submit that data. And so the question that, that, that Capital and uh, the folks at Capital Rx asked us to, to do is, can we run an analysis to see what are the benefits, if any, of looking at mandatory reporting of acquisition costs and compare that to the voluntary system that NADAC currently has today? So while NADAC is still very good, the question before us was, could it be even better? And so what we found were two specific things. When you look at the drugs that are essentially missing 
from, uh, from the NADAC survey, we found about 1,600 unique oral solid, solid products that lacked a NADAC price. These products represented about $3.7 billion in annual Medicaid expenditures. Or expenditures. So absent that transparent price, these products are nearly universally paid based upon you know, some discount to AWP or wholesale acquisition cost. So according to CMS, the average NADAC discount for a brand name drug relative to WAC is around 4%. So without boring your, your, your listeners too much and taking them too far down a rabbit hole, what we're able to find is that the projected savings, if you actually had NADAC, disc, NADAC rates for these drugs that were missing from the NADAC survey today, that accounts for about $1.5 billion over a 10-year period. Now, the second component of that is if you require pharmacies to participate, well, then more than likely you're gonna get more efficient numbers reported into the NADAC uh, database. What we found with that is, is that if you compare the Alabama AAC to the NADAC prices, now this is for the drugs that exist on both surveys, we also found an additional $10 billion in savings over 10 years. So you put it all together, you're looking at about $11.5 billion in savings over 10 years, if they only went through the process of requiring pharmacies to submit their data to the National Average, National Average Acquisition Cost Survey. So now pharmacies might say, man, I, you know, I, I have to, I, now I have to report my data. You know, that might be you know, overly burdensome. Well, if I'm the, in the position of, the, of CMS or state Medicaid programs, to me, I should, I, I should have the authority to say, look, if you want to participate in this in this program, well, part of the part of the part of the deal is you're going to report your real prices. Yep. And what happens when you do that? Now you open up an entirely new world because we live in the twilight zone in pharmacy where everything is based on fake prices. Well, now once you have the real ones, now you can start tethering all pricing throughout the supply chain from payer to pharmacy off of that benchmark price. You're inserting trust in a system that has none today. You know, pharmacy management systems like Pioneer RX, for example, could easily make that an automated system of reporting. So, so it wasn't a big labor or tax on the pharmacy operator who doesn't want to have to submit another report, uh, you know, for the month. So I don't think that technology is going to fail us if in fact we can come up with some algorithm or something to to tie back to um, to such reporting, and I think this is a wonderful idea, Antonio. You know, the center of, you just mentioned this. So the Center of Medicaid, Medicare and Medicaid CMS proposed to delay a rule requiring drug makers to report their multiple best prices, including discounts offered to consumers under Medicaid's drug rebate program. This is by uh, an article by Susan uh, Morris, who is a managing editor over at Healthcare Finance. And she went on to say that the value-based uh, purchasing arrangement rule came out under the Trump administration. CMS has proposed establishing minimum standards in Medicaid state drug utilization review to support value-based purchasing for drugs covered by Medicaid. AJ, I don't understand the difference between um, one policy and the next sometimes because of how confusing it can be, but why does CMS seem to be a culprit in some of this 
in not really accelerating reform to ensure that the American public and taxpayer, uh, their money is being used as intended? Yeah, I mean, there's multiple reasons. And, and no one is to blame there because I think, first of all, they have an awesome responsibility. Yeah. I mean, many, you know, very few people in their lifetime will look at a budget that they have to ultimately control or influence. So, and it's a lot of different moving parts in the supply chain. It's not that they're just engaging with pharmacies or PBMs, it's manufacturers, it's wholesalers, it's hospital systems, it's everything in between, even the end patient or a group payer. And so I think when we look at why the system hasn't appeared to be as efficient as it should be over at CMS, I want to be fair, is that, first of all, there's been quite a few changes in the last 21 years. And so that's everything from seeing the birth of MedD to the uh, Affordable Care Act. I mean, you know, there's been some seminal moments here in healthcare and pharmacy that they've had to keep pace with. I think also there's a generational gap sometimes in knowledge where, you know, oftentimes, you know, people that work in the public sector are career employees. They've been here for 20 years and 30 years. And that service and experience serves them very well. But at the same time, oftentimes, you haven't had the benefit of viewing other areas or perhaps creating or establishing relationships with other entities other than the, the very people in the established industry. And so, you know, when we look at this, it's no one's to blame here. You know, I mean... <laughs> You know, first of all, it's government, it's it's massive business. And so when we look at this, you know, we have to think first and foremost, which is, are we making improvements? And I think the answer is yes. I think they want to make sure they being CMS, any change, you know, is a broad survey. It can't favor any one party. You would hope that the bias or balance on that is always how do we favor the end patient, you know, or the American citizen? And I do believe they think that as well. But I think this is part of the complexity. And I do think we are starting to see, you know, that transition where people that have what I would say a different world of experiences are entering into roles like that and are taking a fresh look at this. I think the current administration also has a fresh set of eyes and I think is working towards this end goal of improvement. So, you know, I would like to say I'm very optimistic, you know, and we were just talking about this in a team meeting this morning where the tide is turning. You know, Todd yourself on this podcast saying the status quo is coming to an end. You know, we've heard it from employer groups that have said things like, I don't even like speaking to my broker or consultant because it seems like they want to do what's best for them before me. I would never have heard that five, six years ago. I think government officials, be it in states like Ohio and others that are taking a closer look at how they're paying very sizable bills is also indicative of this change. And I think when you look at some of the bills, you know, bipartisan on the Hill that are looking at 
healthcare reform or pharmacy cost improvement. I think we're seeing advances there. So again, I think you're never going to see an immediate change. What you are going to see is incremental change, but I think it's never been a better time. Probably the most interested listener right now, Antonio, is that pharmacy owner. Um, you know, you have their ear. Some of them are up uh, up to date on what's happening, like the latest information that came out of the state of Texas. Um, others, you know, uh, are are tired of hearing it, but are becoming excited because they think change is coming. What do you tell those, um, you know, those pharmacy owners at this point um, in with encouragement and what you see as a data analyst who really understands the domino effect? Yeah, so you know, uh, right now, uh, a primary problem for for pharmacies is is that PBMs are taking advantage of the complexity that exists from the plant sponsor all the way to the end of the pharmacy. At the end of the day, you have a pharmacy, whether right or wrong, thinks that they should be paid more for what they do. And on the other end of a spectrum, you have a plant sponsor. AJ talks to him all the time, I'm sure, that says, "I'd like to pay less." Well, the problem with the current system is those two entities are actually pushed further and further apart by proprietary information that's being handled by their benefits consultants, their PBMs, and their insurers. And so regardless of whether it's capital or any other PBM, any PBM that inserts a essentially a universal language and line of sight from one end to the other, now you have opportunity to cut the fat, okay? And, and so a lot of our research and a lot of the research of uh, state Medicaid programs, attorneys generals, et cetera, shows that there's a, a lot of fat to cut at this point. And so when you cut that fat, you, you make a lot of winners with that, you, whether that's the plant sponsor, the pharmacy, et cetera. So the problem with pharmacies is they're being used as a tool and a pawn right now of the large PBMs as a one end of a spectrum with which they can arbitrage the other end. And so uh, for a pharmacy owner, a lot of these things around transparent pricing, essentially all will automatically, automatically day one end those games because now the end payer has line of sight to what the real prices of the medications are at the pharmacy. And they provide for unique opportunities to actually start engaging in perhaps even direct contracting locally, all right, where all you need is essentially is a simple PBA to facilitate the transaction between a willing pharmacy and a willing employer. But today, none of that is possible because of the opacity and complexity of the transaction. So um, for a pharmacy owner, I would say, right now, your backs are against the wall. I mean, this system in its current autopilot is going to take you off a cliff. And so to me, I think pharmacy is in a unique position, especially as they're being looked at more and more uh, from uh, from a healthcare perspective as an asset, you know, the value proposition of the pharmacist arguably has never been more uh, more relevant uh, to policymakers and uh, and employers than it is today. So the question then becomes if these payers actually knew what they were buying, all right, what would they choose to do? And so my bet is it wouldn't be spending $11 per prescription and spread pricing. It wouldn't be spending $4,000 in markup on a generic Liebeck prescription. All of those things can be solved with a better pricing system that is transparent and accessible to both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I'd like to add to this, which is, you know, when we 
started to look at drug pricing when we founded Capital Rx, you know, back to this point of NADAC, I always like to point out was the starting point. What you want to get to is you want the pharmacy owners to have the safety and security that if they want to signal value at the point of sale, they won't be punished for it. And so, you know, what does that mean exactly? So think of it this way. If you're a pharmacy owner and you're seeing these transactions and you say, you know, I, I buy this drug for $5 and, you know, maybe I'd be willing to sell it for seven, eight, you know, sounds reasonable to me for my time, 10, I don't know. Yep. But if I do that, what will happen is the PBM and the carrier is going to come in here and basically say, well, you're willing to pay seven. Well, how about I give you four? How about I give you three? And this is where people stop being efficient in a marketplace because there's a power that can set price and also set reimbursement. And this is important to remember. And there's also sometimes rules in pharmacy contracting that allows for things like direct and indirect remuneration, as well as clawback rules where I could take even more if I want to or be more punitive with the promise of, hey, if you did these things, you would perhaps make more money. But my point is here is when we created the system, we always give the pharmacies the ability to set a better price but we never have the ability to take that margin away. And the way that you, the only way that you could ever make this promise to a pharmacy, the plan and the patient is through the use of a single ledger. And you're gonna be like, what is this mystery? It's right now, a PBM, a traditional one, would never want employers to see what they're reimbursing pharmacies, never. The 835 file, they would never want to see. This is the file that basically says, hey, this is what we owe the pharmacies from the PBM. You know, the classic example, if I had to give you a very specific, I fill a drug for 20 bucks, the patient pay is $5. You know, someone owes the pharmacy 15. And what the problem is, is some plans, that might be someone owes the pharmacy 25 you know, because they were charged more. Someone it was less, it's 14. Some people it's 16. Some people might be $60, who knows? And this is what we call multiple ledgers is each employer group has its own contract and its own rates and its own rules and its own average over a year. And this changes all the time. And so on a single ledger system, what are you doing? Is you're saying, okay, it's the lesser of the National Average Drug Acquisition Cost, it's public, it's available through CMS. You're allowing the pharmacies, if they want to signal value, you know what, I can actually do better than that. You want them to give us that price. Because think about it this way. Is there a third party sitting on the floor of the pharmacy saying, I'm going to tell you what you could charge for deodorant and eye drops and Band-Aids? No. And back to my Tylenol rule. No one is forcing someone down their throat. I am the Band-Aid czar, and only I can tell you what a great price is for Band-Aids, and I'm going to change it every hour of every day. It's insanity. And so the only way this ever truly works, because I've heard people say, oh, like, you know, we, we could do NADAC pricing as a PBM. I go, that, <laughs> that's not it. You must create a single ledger. Everyone must see this transaction. The patient the plan and the pharmacy and the PBM must share in this ledger. There can't be four different distinct transactions going off. Right. That's insane. And this is what I want people to understand 
is it's pricing transparency. It's a single ledger of reconciliation is the future. It is coming. Election. And this, this is the only way we get to true value is an efficient marketplace through the system that is not punishing. You know, I always want to make this a point is no one should be at someone's throat in this model. You know what I mean? Is yes, someone might charge one or 2% more because the pharmacy's closer or maybe they get better care or it has a nicer carpet. That's fine. But it shouldn't be the sole discretion of a party that didn't buy the inventory and doesn't man that store. That's ridiculous. And then the, there's the, um, the ingredient to this um, mystery where you have uh, some of the major PBMs owning uh, the distribution point, which is the pharmacy itself. So the, the mystery becomes even more um, you know, multi-layered because then it's, it's not important to – uh, disclose everything because, well, they they own both sides of the of the of the cycle. <laughs> yeah, I think it's less retail for the PBM and more male specialty for the PBM because let's be fair. At this point, male specialty is anywhere from forty to fifty percent of drug spend. Right. You know, there's an entire hidden market to most retail pharmacies they do not see. And again, this is because of words like exclusive, exclusive mail, exclusive specialty. Now, if you ask the local pharmacist, independent or otherwise, could they fill a drug at the point of sale, a biologic or otherwise? The answer is yes, of course. In fact, they would probably say, I'll give you better care. I'll give you better adherence. I'll give your patient better coaching. And this is not factored in. And I feel like this is part of the bigger problem, which is why are channels exclusive? You know, no one forces me to use online shopping versus going down the road. And it shouldn't be this way in our healthcare. And someone would be like, well, no, no, you get a better, better savings if you do that. Do you? Yeah. How would you know? For all the reasons we've just discussed, which includes your source price is dodgy, you have sole discretion by the person that benefits the most from said medication. And it's based upon a variable compensation structure. And I point this out all the time. The more expensive, the more money a traditional PBM makes. So even some of their clinical decision-making is questionable based upon that inherent conflict of interest. At one point, you have to decide in healthcare are you in the fulfillment business, which is great? Go fill prescriptions, engage with patients, or are you an administrator? Is your job to help the patients, give them the highest level of service and care, and be a price shopper for them, be it lower net costs with messaging or just negotiating the best on discounts and giving them access and freedom to choice? This is what the industry is missing. That's brilliant. And we so much appreciate what you're doing, AJ, and what Capital RX is um, is is campaigning and 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 not sitting around just talking about, but actually doing it. You're you're recognized as the fastest growing uh, PBM in in the United States. Um, that that's the, the the transparent model PBM. So uh, you know, bravo to you and your team. Job's never done. I do want to point that out. <laughs> the moment you think you're done. You failed in your mission. And I know. And I do want to also point out plenty of PBMs helped build us to this point in history. 
you know, there's no one company that laid the foundation for being a successful PBM or a better PBM or a transparent PBM. There were multiple steps in the process, but the key is you must never give up in your pursuit of creating a better service and pricing solution. In closing, Antonio, I wanted to ask you if you can uh, give our listeners a heads up on advancement of other states that you may be working with in once again to really uh, drive reform um, of the of the current status quo. So we recently did a, uh, a project in the state of Massachusetts where uh, we analyzed uh, their Medicaid uh, prescription drug claims relative to what pharmacies are being paid. And yet again, you know, we see the same problem that we've identified in others that, you know, PBMs are taking advantage of, of the lack of knowledge around real prices and, again, paying low, billing high, pocketing the difference. And we've seen how that spilled out, you know, in Ohio, where they're, they're suing and suing and suing again. And we see more and more states that are now starting to investigate, um, you know, PBM activities, whether it be uh, Centene, which is very public, uh, at this point, there are a number uh, of lawsuits that are going on uh, on that front. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's like Centene is the one you know, all over the papers right now. And they have such a small segment of the marketplace, uh, at least their PBM. So um, we are seeing a day of reckoning uh, approach on this, um, not because of, uh, of of anything other than it's it is somebody who was hired to make the, per the, the, the purchase of of drugs at a pharmacy more efficient and instead are taking advantage of that of that power. So um, Massachusetts was just the latest, but um, there, there, trust me, there's a lot of other states. We just haven't had the time and bandwidth to go after them yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to let the listeners know that um, you can find more information in our show notes about uh, Capital Rx and Three Access Advisors. Uh, we'll have links to uh, their uh, to their sites and to um, I'll have uh, their LinkedIn uh, placed in those show notes. But in closing, AJ, is there anything that you want our um, our listeners to to know and or to uh, lobby um, with such efforts? Yeah, I mean, first off, I think what any ultimate payer can do for themselves. You know, this is a group. This is even a patient in an exchange program. Is you know, ask the right questions, you know, <laughs> and I know this is tough sometimes and think about the person who's giving you this advice. I mean, the amount of conflict of interest in healthcare is disgusting to me. And all too often, the best healthcare choice is the one that pays someone the most amount of money. And that needs to change. So when I talk to, as I mentioned, even earlier, employer groups, public sector, union, take your pick, even health plans, start asking this question of like, who's guiding my decisions? And I think you're going to very quickly reveal they do not have your best interest. And I think the other part of it is we need to dig harder on this. I'm beginning to even question how people can be compensated on healthcare decisions in variable compensation ways. I mean, I just don't know how it works anymore. And I'm beginning to think that the country needs to rethink that because once you take that away, we might actually have some real progress in the appropriate decisions being made. Makes sense. 
Antonio, it's such a joy always having you on the show. Uh, AJ, this has been uh, wonderful, your second appearance, and it's always a plethora of information that I very much appreciate, and I'm sure our listeners do as well. And I, uh, I thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast uh, Nation. This is the PBM Reform Podcast. And we always thank you for everything that you do, pharmacists, technicians, uh, our administrators, our business people in the pharmacy industry. And remember, it's always about the patient. Put them in the center of everything that you do. And we thank you for listening. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.